Uh, as I begin this morning, I know we have some visitors with us this morning. If you're here visiting with us this morning, we just want to stop and say thank you. We appreciate you being here so much. We hope that you feel right at home here. Uh, that's, that's how we want you to feel. We want you to feel at home. We want you to worship with us. So on behalf of myself and the entire staff and the entire congregation here, thank you for being here this morning. We are back in our sermon series in 1 Peter this morning. This morning we're going to be in chapter 4, and we're going to be taking a look at the entire chapter of 1 Peter. So I'd, I'd encourage you to find 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at that entire chapter this morning. And as you make your way there, I want to take just a moment to remind you of the context. Remember, this was a circulating letter that Peter wrote to the believers in Asia Minor, specifically the portion of the world that we currently know as modern-day Turkey. He wrote this between AD 60 and AD 67, and he also wrote this during a time of both political unrest and social unrest. And does that not sound a lot familiar to our world today, both political and social unrest? And then the other thing that I would like for us just to review and remember just a moment before we get to our Scripture is that as we read through the entire book of First Peter, it becomes obvious from nearly the very beginning that there is indeed a recurring theme that appears over and over and over again throughout this book. And it is this, that believers should follow the example of Jesus Christ and they should do that by joyfully enduring persecution. And we're going to see that theme present itself through our text here in chapter 4 again this morning. So at this point, if you are physically able to stand, I'd like to invite you to stand with us right now to honor the reading of God's Word. And here's what God's Word says. Since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking. For whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, so as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. But they will give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached, even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers above all. Keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies, in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. 
To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will the outcome, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful Creator while doing good. Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for bringing us to this place this morning. And Father, I thank you for just being able to read your word. Lord, as it was mentioned earlier, Lord, I pray that, that we will be compelled to memorize your word, large chunks, chunks of it, large sections of your word. I pray that we will be compelled to commit that to memory. Lord, I pray that this morning, as I proclaim this message that you have placed on my heart, Lord, would you hide me behind your cross? May I point this congregation to you. May they see you and you crucified. Father, I pray for your anointing to be upon my life today from the top of my head to the bottom of my feet. Lord, I pray that your spirit, the spirit of the living God, will fall fresh upon me. I pray that the spirit of the living God will fall fresh upon this church. Father, I pray that you will open our ears to hear. I pray that you will open our minds to understand and open our hearts to receive the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Father, for anyone who is hearing my voice right now that does not know you as their Lord and Savior, Father, may this be the day that we leave here rejoicing because we have seen salvation in this place. Father, may you do the exceedingly more today than our minds can even think, ask, or imagine. And Father, for those things that you will do, we will give you praise, honor, and glory for it all. It's in your name I pray. Amen. You may be seated. Now, the title of this morning's message is, When Suffering Comes, Don't Be Surprised. When suffering comes, do not be surprised. Now, remember, we have been seeing recently throughout this particular sermon series what God's Word says about submission. We also have seen how we as believers in Jesus Christ are to treat each other. We saw last week that Christians are always to be prepared to give a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in us. And then we are to do that with both gentleness and respect. Now, we're going to see throughout chapter 4 this morning that although Christians will indeed suffer, we're going to see that Christ is indeed faithful throughout 
every moment of that suffering. So when, when we suffer, we can always know that Christ is faithful. Now, we're going to be looking at our text this morning in three different main sections. And you'll remember we're talking about the concept of suffering and how for the Christian that it is going to indeed happen. So with that in mind, let's just go ahead and affirm right now suffering's going to happen to the life of any Christian. But when that happens, what are we going to do? Well, in this first section of verses, verses 1 through 6, we're going to see that we can live our life for God. Now, as we look, as we begin to look at these verses in detail, we're going to see that Christ, and remember that it is indeed Him that we're following. If we're in Christ this morning, it is Him that we are following, church. It's not a pastor. It is not a group of individuals. It's not a political party. It is none other than Jesus Christ this morning. Who are you following? Because let me tell you, if it's Jesus Christ, remember that He suffered in the flesh, and we are going to as well. So prepare yourself to be prepared for that reality. Because if you're truly following Him, you're going to suffer. Now this phrase at the end of verse 1, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. I want to spend just a moment there this morning. Remember, we say so often it is so important that we take Scripture in its, in its, in its correct context. Now, when, when we see that, for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, does that mean that if you've experienced suffering that you'll never, sin, that you'll never ever sin anymore? Probably not. Probably not. Remember, we live in a world that is absolutely infested with sin. It's every direction that you look in, you will see sin. What Peter is telling us here, that when the Christian makes the right choices, we are demonstrating to the world around us who is indeed watching us that obeying God is indeed the most important thing in our life, even in times of suffering. Now in verse 3, in verse 3, Peter points out that, hey, in your past, there's likely some things that you're not proud of. There's likely some things in all of our past that we are not proud of. But let me tell you something. If your faith and trust is truly in Jesus Christ, your past is the past. You do not live there anymore. You don't live there anymore. When the enemy tries to remind you of your past, look to the cross. But while we are on that subject, we know what our past were like. Why would we ever want to go back to our past and live in sin? Instead, we are called, we are called to live a lifestyle that is holy, pure, blameless, and acceptable to Jesus Christ. Now, I'll tell you, when, when you do that, when you begin to go down that path, and you begin to live that lifestyle that is holy, let me tell you what's going to happen. There will be people who will not like you. They will be surprised. 
When you don't join them in their acts and their activities, they will malign you. I don't know, I wonder, have you experienced that this morning? I have several times before my call to ministry. I experienced it several times when I would, maybe if I would be at a business lunch. Maybe someone was drinking and as soon as they would see me, oh, we can't do that around Todd. We've got to act right about him. It becomes almost a joke to the non-believing world. That anybody would want to honor Christ with their life. Honor Him anyway. Honor Him anyway. Christ is sufficient. He is worth it. Honor Him. Let me tell you something else that I've experienced during the years that I've been a pastor. You walk in certain places and it becomes deathly silent. We've got to act good now, preachers here. You know what? You've got that exact same call if you're truly in Christ. Whether or not the preacher's there or not, you've got the same exact call to honor Christ. He sees and knows all. His opinion is way more important than any human. He sees and he knows. Church, for the sake of Jesus Christ, you will endure things that are not fair. You will endure things that your mind will not understand. Endure them anyway. Christ is sufficient. He is worth it. Now, isn't verse 5 comforting? But these people who will act surprised when you don't join them in their same flood of debauchery and they malign you, those people, they're going to give an account to Him who is ready to judge the living and The dead. Remember, nothing is hidden from Him. If you were here last week, you know I described two gates. Two gates. One that God's Word tells us. Jesus is speaking here. One of those gates is wide. And it is easy, easy to enter that gate. That is the gate that leads to death and destruction. That is the gate that leads straight to hell. And then Jesus also says that there is a narrow gate. And he says that gate is hard. That path is hard. And he also says this. There are few who find it. There are few who find it. I want to ask you this morning, which gate have you entered? It's one or the other. You have either entered the wide gate, the one that's easy, the one that leads straight to hell? Or you've entered the narrow gate, the one that is difficult, the one that few find, but the one who leads to heaven. I suspect there are people who have filled church, congregations, sanctuaries all over our world today that believe they've entered the narrow gate, but they've instead entered the wide gate and their eyes are blinded to where their eternity is going to be spent. Church, hear me when I say this. Hear me when I say this in love. The time is coming when Jesus is going to come back. And on that day, the earth, the world as we know it, will, it won't, we won't know it anymore. It will be so different. Jesus will be back and judgment will begin. Nobody will escape it. Are you ready for it? 
It could be today. It could be today. Now, as we look at our next section of verses, remember we're on this concept. If we're truly in Christ, suffering is, is going to happen. So now what? What do we have the opportunity to do? Well, here's something that we have the opportunity to do. We see it in verses 7 through 11. Live your life for the will of God within the church. The end is near. Remember that Christians are commanded to love. Are we doing that? Are we loving each other? Are we ministering to each other? Because if we are, let me tell you what will happen. God will be praised. God will be praised. Church, the end of all things is at hand. Just like the scripture that's on the screen right now indicates the end of all things is at hand. It's close. Therefore, be self-controlled and be sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Be self-controlled. Be sober-minded. I want to remind you, just as I have several times before, that if we are truly in Christ, that doesn't just impact where we're going to spend our eternity in heaven. It impacts now and how we actually live our lives, how we make a difference in this world, in the present, as we wait for the coming, the second coming of Jesus Christ, we are to be self-controlled. We are to be sober-minded, and it should draw us to our knees often. It should draw us to our knees often. Brother Mark has been leading the youth through the spiritual disciplines, as you've been hearing him say on Sunday morning. Spiritual disciplines for the Christian life. One of them is definitely Bible intake. Guess what another one is? Prayer. Prayer. How much time are we spending in intentional prayer? Folks, I'm going to tell you, if you're in Christ, you should be drawn to your knees often. Often. It shouldn't be a prayer, give me this, give me that, don't let that happen, let this happen. It should be serious, intentional prayer discerning the will of God. What does God want? Not what do we want individually. What does God want? It should drive us to our knees. And maybe you think, I can't get on my knees. And I realize there's people who physically can't get on their knees. But if you can't get on your knees, could you stretch out on your face? Put your face to the ground if you can't do that. We can still spend intentional time in prayer even if we are not physically able to get on our knees or stretch out on our face before God. How much time are we spending in prayer? Verse 8 says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Now, when the word covers is used there, it means willing to forgive. That's the way it's used there. The word cover is used to indicate we must be willing to forgive. Let me tell you something. Love does not ignore sin. Love does not by any means ignore sin. And it also doesn't justify sin. It does not justify sin. Sometimes, many times, confrontation of sin is necessary. But we are commanded to demonstrate love in those times. I'm going to tell you something. We must be willing to forgive and move on. 
We must be. We must be willing to forgive and move on. If you constantly dwell on the past, let me tell you something. That's where you've got to find yourself living. Christ does not desire that you live there. And if you're in Christ this morning, aren't you glad that He doesn't keep bringing up your sins over and over? We wouldn't expect Him to do that, so why would we think it's okay to do that for somebody who may have offended us sometimes? Scripture says that when we are forgiven, He places our sins as far as the east is from the west, and He remembers them no more. And we should not remember them anymore either. Nor should we remember anymore the transgressions of somebody who has offended us. Forgive them even if you don't think they want to be forgiven. We are to forgive anyway. Remember the past is the past. We don't live there anymore. Christ has called us to live a holy lifestyle today. And if you've truly experienced His love, His forgiveness, His mercy, and His grace, you will desire to forgive others as He does. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very, very grace. Whoever speaks is one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves is one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To Him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. These verses can be condensed to this. Show hospitality, don't grumble. You know what, the the moment of your salvation. Each Christian receives at least one spiritual gift. Many receive multiple spiritual gifts, but rest assured, if you're in Christ, you have been given at least one spiritual gift. Use it to serve the Lord. Use it to serve one another. If you speak... Make sure that what comes out of your mouth honors God. If you serve, serve in the strength that God supplies. And let me tell you, that if you serve is, I really should say when you serve, because if you are truly in Christ, you're going to want to serve. Because He's changed your heart. He's transformed your heart from the inside out. You want to serve Him as an overflow of what has happened in your heart. But let me tell you, when you serve, serve in the strength of Jesus Christ. If you try to serve in your own strength, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to wear yourself out. And you will never experience that true peace unless you are relying on the strength that Christ provides. Whatever you do, do it for the sole glory of God. And as we look at the remainder of our text today, we see, again, with this concept, suffering happens. And we are going to see that we have the opportunity to live our life for the will of God right during that suffering. Now, as we look at this next section of verses, verses 12 through 19, if you follow along in your Bible there, you're going to see that the, either the word suffer or suffering is going to be used four times in this final section of verses, verses 12 through 19. And beyond that, in verse 12, 
we are told that we're not to be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. I want to ask you a question this morning. When you read God's Word, do you ever stop and think and wonder, okay, in this, in this particular situation, we know that we are dealing with a letter that Peter wrote. Do you ever stop to wonder, okay, when those initial people read that letter and they saw these two words, fiery trial, I wonder what would go, be going through their mind? I encourage you to think things like that. Context is important, and that includes the historical context of what is going on. Let me tell you something this morning. The initial readers of this letter, when they saw the words fiery trial, they would have probably quickly remembered that right there in their time, Christians were being burned at the stake, all because they were serving Christ. Their minds would have probably gone to the fact of in Rome, and whether or not you know it or not, Peter wrote this letter in Rome, while he was in Rome. Let me tell you what was going on in Rome during this time. Christians were being pulled from their families. They were being dipped in tar, and they were being set on fire, literally, and being used as living torches to light the Garden of Nero. Now, does that bring a different understanding to the words fiery trial? It does, doesn't it? Did those people deserve? Did they deserve to be dipped in tar and burned as a living torch? No, they didn't. Did it happen? Yes, it did. They endured that for the glory of Christ. They endured the suffering. And there's probably going to be things that we have to endure that are not fair, that we don't understand. Endure them anyway. And when those things happen, don't act like it's something that's strange that's happening to us. Instead, expect it. Expect that suffering is going to come. And then verse 13, I think, is just absolutely beautiful. We have the opportunity to rejoice insofar as you share Christ's suffering that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. We can make the choice that we are going to rejoice during the suffering. I've asked several times over the last several weeks, I've encouraged you to decide now what you're going to do when persecution comes. It's coming. And if you wait till it comes to make your decision, you're likely to make the wrong one. You're likely to make the wrong one. And you might be wondering, so tell me, how could I possibly rejoice when I'm suffering? Well, verse 14 helps us to answer that question. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. And it tells us why. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Church, apart from that, you can't do it. Apart from that, none of us can do it. But if the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon us, then yes, indeed, we can. We can endure the suffering. We can glorify Christ during the suffering. Now, as we look at verse 15, notice that Peter is intentional here. He mentions murderer. 
thief, evildoer, and meddler. He's intentional when he does this. The point that he's making here is that if if you do something that contradicts the Word of God, if you entertain sin, let me tell you, there's a penalty for it. If you do certain things, you're going to suffer. But during those times, if you've made a sinful choice in your suffering, don't pretend that you're suffering for the sake of righteousness. You're not. You're suffering as the result of making a horrible decision. Don't pretend that you're suffering for the sake of righteousness if you murder somebody, if you steal something, if you're an evildoer, or if you're a meddler. You're likely to reap consequences for those things, and you're likely to suffer, but it will not be for the sake of righteousness if you do those things. Verse 16, Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed. But let him glorify God in that name. Praise God for that. Praise God that we don't have to be ashamed. Praise God that we can glorify God in our suffering. These trials that the Christian endures, let me tell you what they'll do. They will help to refine us. They will help to make us stronger. They will allow us to glorify Christ if we choose to. If we choose to. But what will happen to the ungodly and the sinner? They're going to face the wrath of God. Verse 17. It's time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? We know what their outcome is going to be. They've entered the wide gate. They are on their way straight to hell. I wonder this morning, which gate have you entered? And if the righteous is scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Again, which gate Have you entered this morning? And then he closes chapter 4 with a beautiful verse. Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Is that not beautiful this morning? Church suffering happens. It's coming. You may be experiencing suffering right now. But if you're not, just wait a little while, you're going to. And the suffering that we've experienced at this point, it's likely going to get a lot worse. And I want to challenge you just as I did last week. When when suffering begins, when persecution is experienced within your life, within your temple, let's always look to the cross. Once we look and remember What Christ did for us on that cross, our suffering typically don't look nearly as bad. Because most of the time, even though we think we're suffering, we haven't gone through anything that's even remotely similar to what Christ endured for us on the cross. For me and for you, He died on that cross for us so that we could have salvation. But remember, it is a free gift, but we have to make the choice that we want it. And if we do, if we ask Him to forgive our sins, 
If we ask Him to be our Lord and Savior, then He will. But let me tell you what He's going to do right now. At the moment of salvation, He will transform your life. He will transform your life. He will tell you, go and sin no more. He expects you to live a lifestyle that's holy, pure, blameless, and acceptable to Him. Maybe you're thinking this morning, I'm not doing that right now. I've made some mistakes. He's waiting to forgive you. Don't carry your burden. Place it at His feet. But I do want to challenge you again this morning, just as I did last week, and I've said it a couple of times this morning. Every one of you, including me, we have either entered the wide gate or we've entered the narrow gate. There's no in-between, folks. A lot of people live their lives as if the way that someone goes to heaven is simply to do more good things than they do bad by the day that they die. That is a lie directly from Satan. A lie directly from Satan. You go to heaven. If you've entered that narrow gate, the one that is hard to find, the one where the path is not easy, and you ask Jesus to forgive your sins. And in that moment, His blood will cover you. There will be a total transformation of your heart. You will not desire the things of the world anymore. Your eyes will be on Christ. And if what I'm describing right now doesn't sound like your life, you've likely entered the wide gate. I pray that you will examine your life this morning during this time of invitation. Jesus is coming back. It might be today. It might be today. If it is today, are you ready? I pray that the answer is yes. But if that answer right now is no, I compel you to come forward. I would love to introduce you to this man named Jesus Christ. The name at which every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That day is coming. That day is coming. Perhaps this morning you're carrying another burden. Perhaps you just need to come forward this morning during this invitation and lay that at his feet. Church, I urge you, let's use this altar. Let's wear the carpet out on this altar because we've used it so much. I wonder what you need this morning. Which gate have you entered? Would you pray with me, please? Father, thank you for bringing us to this place today. Father, I thank you for the truth of your word. Father, I pray that now, during this time of invitation, Lord, I pray that we will each pause and examine which of those two gates that we have entered. Father, I pray that eyes will be opened. I pray that blinders will come off. Lord, your, your word tells us that, that Satan has blinded the minds of unbelievers. So it's, it's not a surprise to us. But, Father, I pray that today will be the day that the blinders come off. Father, I pray that you will show each of us what it would be like to stand before you and to give an account of our lives right this very moment. Father, I pray it will drive us to our knees. I pray that we will see salvation in this place today. I pray that we will see transformation in this place today. I pray that we will see people lay burdens down at the foot of the cross. Lord, we know that burdens are lifted at Calvary. We know that. Help us 
Help us not to be prideful and try to carry our burdens by ourselves. Help us to realize that apart from you, we can do absolutely nothing. Father, I pray that you will move mightily. During this time of invitation, may you do the immeasurably more, the exceedingly abundantly, more than our minds can even think to ask or imagine. Father, we know that you're the one that can do it. May you be glorified in this place today. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.